dragged me down to that warehouse on the waterfront in Brooklyn to see one of her performances. Oh, and she's on stage uh, cooking dinner for some celebrity? God. She's cooking dinner for God. She's yelling and screaming, and the next thing I know, she throws a big can of chocolate syrup all over my new red shirt. It was an accident. Oh, yeah, accident, right. She was aiming right at me like she was putting out a fire. So for the rest of the show, I'm, I'm sitting there with chocolate all over my shirt. Flies are landing on me. I'm, I'm boiling. I'm fantasizing all the things I'm going to say when I see her. And later, finally, backstage, when I talk to her, I'm like a little groveling worm. I'm, gee, what, what kind of chocolate was that? Uh, do you throw any other foods? Uh, she thought he still had a shot. Welcome to Talking Seinfeld, the podcast where we discuss everything we know about the show about nothing. This week we are here to review the episode, The Baby Shower. I am Dando. I am Guy Dando. Good to see you again, my friend. Same likewise, sir. Always happy to see you. You're wearing a hat today, which is uh, pretty impressive. I like it when you wear hats. You suit suit caps. I, I do love your baldness. I do love your bald head, but... When you're rocking a beanie, you look like a real tough man from the the docks and the sail yards. When you're wearing this, you look like a a caddy. You look like a <laughs> caddy. Bag of, you, you, you could my own personal bag of vans. You know, <laughs> that's not. Ex- I don't know if bag of vans caddy was the look that I was going for, but uh, I'll take it. I'll accept it. <laughs> I mean, if if you told me if I was lining up to hit a ball into the green right now, and I'm going all right, need pitch wedge, and you said no, mate. Use your nine iron. I'm trusting you. You look like someone who knows their golf, their golfing abilities. On those rare occasions when I play golf, and I haven't played for a very long time, but I would, you know, either borrow my like my dad's clubs or my mum's clubs or something like that. I would invariably use maybe like three clubs. I was I was never that into the sort of variety. I'm like I, I could not tell. Hmm. I think the situation requires a five iron. It's like I'll tee off with a wood. I'll putt with a putter. And everything in between, I was like, mm, oh, okay. If I need to get out of sand, yeah, I know to use the one that's a bit more like a shovel than anything else. But the, 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 yeah. the sandwich, yes. The sand, the sandwich. <laughs> Open face club sandwich. <laughs> but the baby shower. Did you enjoy this episode? I did. I did. But I'll say that it felt different to yeah. episodes that have preceded. And there's a reason for that. There's a very good reason mm-hmm. for that. Very, it, a very uh, big reason, some would say, yeah. Well, would you like to explain what that reason is? Well, this was the first one to air that incorporated the four main stars having their own story all intertwining into one big climax at the end. So the bus boy was filmed before this, but that's actually the mm-hmm. finale of this season. So this was the first one written by Larry Charles to have the Seinfeld formula, as many people put it, where you have all these different stories that don't really go together when you're explaining them, but they somehow, the writing staff, somehow find a way to make them all mix at the end. And it's really, really funny the way they do it in this one. It is very funny. Look, I enjoyed this episode a whole lot, even though it is kind of different, uh, to my mind at least, from what we may have come to expect from Seinfeld. Seinfeld seemed to have, it seemed very much to be finding its feet, finding its tone, finding its voice. And this is kind of a variation on that voice. Maybe it's a a slightly higher pitch. Are you saying that in a bad way? or what, No, what you, absolutely what not. No, no, but it, no. Uh, it's not bad. It's just different. I think the ones that are written by Larry David and have a bit more of a Larry David influence on them, they're a little more droll, a little more low-key, maybe even a little more sort of... Um, Pessimistic? N- <laughs> yeah, not mean or cruel or anything like that, but... Cynical. They've got 
Yes, they've got that kind of jaded thing about them. And this feels a bit more peppy, a bit more kind of madcap. Yeah, there wasn't really necessarily... There, there was some whinging in this episode from George, but it wasn't necessarily like a just a, man, how annoying is it when this happens in your day-to-day life? And how annoying is it? It wasn't sort of... There was conversations in this that felt very Seinfeldy, but they weren't just useless conversations. There were at least conversations that furthered the story. Because when, when Larry writes an episode, there tend to be a few conversations. For example, I think it might have been the last one. Yeah, the last one where George and Jerry discuss Aquaman, mm-hmm. which had no bearing on the actual story. But Larry David likes to incorporate the conversations about nothing, where this one here didn't really feel like it had many conversations about nothing, but still it, st- it did have just realistic banter that other sitcoms didn't usually do. There's that, absolutely. And, you know, it also threw in, you know, stuff like the little fantasy sequence where uh, Jerry's getting busted for the uh, for the cable uh, scam. The dream sequence. It was very the funny. The dream sequence. It is very funny, yeah, but it's not really what I've sort of come to expect from Seinfeld at this stage of the game. Mm-hmm, so having... True. It felt uh, unexpected, but welcome, uh, in, a, in a welcome way, let's say. I've read that uh, Jerry struggled to keep it together. Because of the way Michael Richards kept saying, what have you done to my cable boy? <laughs> <laughs> well, you would. I mean, if he's only human because that is um, very, very funny to my mind. Yeah, yeah it's a, a little different to what we've come to expect from Michael Richards, perhaps. Or is it? I don't know. Maybe it's kind of in keeping. By this point now, you can tell that Michael Richards has just gone full-blown Kramer, as we've discussed. And yeah. this, this just felt like Kramer, with the volume turned right up. True. Yeah, you, you come to you. I guess you've come to expect the unexpected from Kramer, yeah. and this was in keeping with that. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I know I got a lot. I got a, a fair few kicks out of this episode. There was a lot to enjoy, but the tone felt a bit different to what I generally regard as classic Seinfeld, vintage Seinfeld. Yeah, Seinfeld. Yeah. Yep, yep. I, I thought George in particular was fantastic in this episode. It was a very George episode. I know that the baby shower was all about Elaine and her relationship with Leslie and you had mm. Jerry there doing things and the, the, the cable the cable aspect, but I think George was the star of this. I think you, just, you, got a, you got a little bit of everything that you love about George in this episode. Very much so. I think one thing that we, <laughs> those of us who like and identify with George, really get a kick out of is him getting all fired up about something, getting really, uh, getting ahead of steam of real righteous indignation and then just chickening out. (laughs) Yeah, that. but also what I loved was that he gets all riled up. The other people in the conversation move on to something else, but he's still stewing on it in the background. (laughs) The man holds a grudge like nobody's business and that's kind of why I love him. So Christine Dunford, she uh, she plays Leslie. She actually returns in a later episode in The Pie, which is the episode where George thinks the mannequin looks a lot like Elaine. And he has like, because he, the, the mannequin is naked, he's like, ooh, I've seen Elaine naked. So, uh, she, <laughs> so Christine returns as the saleswoman in the episode who runs the store with the mannequin. So she plays Leslie. I thought she played Leslie so well. She was so unlikable. Oh, God, yeah. My, my notes here. Leslie seems like an awful person. Yeah, a horrible person. <laughs> yeah. The fact that she's the fact that she's bragging about the fact that they own a house that belonged to the mother of uh, what was his name? The guy that uh, shot those four African African American boys in the eighties. It was a very famous case. Oh, Bernadette's. Yeah, yeah. So mm. she said, "Oh, you know, well, we just bought a house. Bernadette's mother used to live there. Like, is it like it's a, a good thing?" And I'm like, well, I wouldn't be bragging about that. No, but. It, any excuse to drop a name, even if it's, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, you know, 
You know, on this street, um, this is where Jack the Ripper killed one of those, <laughs> killed one of his victims. Wow. <laughs> But she, yeah, because I thought she played the role so well. Uh, the, the character was actually based, according to uh, Larry Charles, on Karen Finley and Joanna Went, who are two performance artists who both used food in uh, in their acts. I've never been to an act like this. Have you? A live show that's incorporating food like Leslie was? I have not, no. I mean, I've heard of Karen Finley mainly because mm-hmm. her name was sort of synonymous with a bit of a, a stink in the, I believe in the 80s, of performance artists and sort of alternative artists getting public money through, I think it was the National Endowment for the Arts or something. And you had a few, I'm guessing, conservative politicians who were like, well, I I went and saw that Karen Finley show and she took all her clothes off and put chocolate syrup all over her body. That's not how I want my tax dollars to work. (laughs) (laughs) I doubt that was verbatim, but I do remember reading about Karen Finley thinking, this show sounds cool. <laughs> and, and I've never actually looked it up, but uh, yeah, uh, Leslie's uh, performance art does sound very in keeping with that kind of thing where it's just like, I'm sure this is meant to mean something. And to some people, it probably does mean something. But to me, this is just like, you're wasting perfectly good chocolate syrup there, lady. <laughs> well, it's funny. They bring art pieces in at work sometimes and they study it and look at it. And I'm like, it's just a tree. <laughs> but, but, like, but they're just like in awe of it anyway. Um, but yeah, so uh, Larry Charles considers the, these kind of people ripe targets for satire. And I, and I agree. Yeah, it's definitely true. So I've actually learned something doing some research on this episode. So the technique used in sitcoms quite often with the car, when they're meant to make it look like they're driving a car, but they're not, mm. is actually called poor man's process. So in the car scene with George and Jerry, this is how they did it here. They had one or two crew members they would shake the side of the car to give the impression that it was actually moving when it's not. Other crew members would then move lights around the set to simulate street lights or headlights from other cars. Mm. Uh, and behind the car, two lights on a wheeled stand were placed to give the impression that there was a car behind it. Uh, well, that's what some, yeah. some, some, some shows do a far better version of this than others because sometimes you watch these sitcoms, even Friends in particular, sometimes Nicola has friends on it. And I go, this was the biggest show at the time or one of the biggest shows. <laughs> How does this look so shit? <laughs> well, that's the thing. There's process, which, um, yeah, they'll have like an actual screen or a, or a backdrop or something like that behind the car. So it does look like, yeah, they're actually in a moving car or whatever. And then there's, as you said, poor man's process where you don't even even try to make it look like you're driving down a proper city street or anything like that. It's just like a couple of lights, a couple of dudes on the side of the car just rocking it. Years ago when I was a, when I was a little boy and uh, went to Universal Studios in Hollywood, Mm-hmm. Uh, got to ride in the process car there and <laughs> thought it was the biggest treat ever. That would have been know, awesome, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and this was this was so long ago that it wasn't even in the thing where they would make a video of it and give you the videotape or anything like that. Yeah, they yeah. just sort of they filmed it and played it back for you. But it's like, can I keep that? Absolutely not. Do you have like $3,000? <laughs> so- <laughs> We're going to tape over this for the next person, buddy. Yes. There's another There's another tour coming through. Hurry it up, kid. Yeah. So- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I just, I just, I've always wondered what it was called. And yeah, poor man's process. So mm. we mentioned Jerry in this. He does have the cable aspect, which I thought was really, really funny and relatable for me because we had a legal foxtail, as we call it, foxtail cable. Here in Australia, we had a legal with a gold card. I'll discuss more about that when we get to the review. But Mary uh, Cantardi, I want to say her name was Mary. She her outburst wasn't originally in the script when she's yelling at Jerry in the end. Uh, they added it because they felt like Jerry didn't have anything to do in that final mm. scene. He was just kind of he came home with George and he was just really there. 
Uh, I think it was great that they found out, I figured out this way to do it because what it did was it really was a great contrast for how George was handling his situation. Absolutely. Now, I'm a big fan of the Mary uh, performance in this by an actor named Margaret Reed. I was so um, sort of taken with her. I looked her up. She's one of those people who's had gigs on, very supporting gigs on various shows. I think she had a, uh, she was on As the World Turns, I think. She yeah, she was a, she had, that's, when she's mo- that's what she's mostly known for. Yeah, but I thought she yeah. really gave it her all. She really yeah. let loose on Jerry. Yeah, yeah, but she also popped up on Law and Order and The Blacklist and The Americans mm-hmm. and The Golden Girls. But yeah, but she really let it rip. And uh, you could tell it's like, Ooh, yeah, she's going to have some fun with this. And, and she certainly did. That was a great performance. And, and really, look, the show didn't need that little <clears throat> in, jolt of adrenaline into it, but she certainly provided one. That is a good one, Stu. <laughs> yeah, one of my favourites. Now, what was your favourite moment from the baby shower? I would say it was actually the Mary sequence. I really enjoyed okay. it. Mm-hmm. There was a lot to uh, to dig in this. Actually, a lot of day player bits like Margaret Reed as Mary, but also the gentleman, oh, no, I haven't written his name down, forgive me, but the guy on the plane who says, my name is Bill. I may be the last person you ever see. Yeah, <laughs> that was very funny. I don't know why I gave him Mr. Garrison from South Park's voice, but there we go. Oh, but, I think yeah. I talked to Mr. Hayat. Oh, Mr. Hayat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's me, Mr. Hat. I think that gentleman just nailed that line. So, yeah, it's good work from him. So, that, I'd say they were my two favourite parts of the episode, but there's a lot to really enjoy in this. Dando, what did you like? I really loved Kramer trying to pitch to Jerry to get illegal cable. Just the, the whole... <laughs> Jerry's like, I nearly got some reception or something. Are you listening to yourself? Can you hear what you're saying, sir? Like, I'm, I'm offering you 56 channels. And then Jerry, it's illegal. He's like, it's not illegal. Well, it's against the law. Well, yeah. <laughs> A very just, good insight into Kramer's mindset there. It was also just very nostalgic for me because I don't... Is illegal cable still a thing in the States? I'm not too sure because in Australia, you just can't do it anymore because you have these little things called smart cards. And once you take mm-hmm. your card out of the box, they immediately know that it's been taken out. And if you don't put that exact card because it's got the code on it back in, they'll shut you down. So I don't know whether it's still a thing, but it just whenever I hear of illegal cable, it just reminds me of the early 90s, man. Just reminds me of the cable guy. The cable guy, exactly. What was that? That was 96, I think. 95 or 96? 95, yeah. 96, yeah, yeah. Around about that then, yeah. <laughs> but it's, just, it's, just, it's very 90s just hearing the term illegal cable. Just, yeah, oh, God, great. yeah. I also really like, I love George here. So not only I love the resourcefulness of the character to keep the shirt with chocolate because it has a good collar. You can wear it under sweaters. Now, you can still find a use for it. Practical, so, yes. It's just, you know, he's so cheap that he won't even throw this out. But the part I love the most about him uh, showing him being cheap was putting a tip, walking off, returning, contemplating, and taking some back. That was amazing. I thought that was extremely George, a very yeah. George move, that just taking back part of the tip. <laughs> oh, so, so great. It was just hilarious. <laughs> Could you spell that, please? No. Next question. Trivia for the cable, oh, not the cable guy, the cable guys for the baby shower. Okay, this one could very easily have been called the Cable Boy. <laughs> cable Boy, I love that. The cable Boy's <laughs> song, I thought was very sweet. Uh, so, uh, do you want to go first with your with your? Yeah, question? I'll go first. What's the name of Leslie's husband? Todd. Todd, well done. <laughs> yeah, I thought- <laughs> Chip, Kip, <Just> Skip, Kip, <laughs> Chip, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> How did Elaine's roommate get Lyme disease? Allegedly. Uh, was it, uh, allegedly from rolling over on a tick during hair or something? 
Yeah. <laughs> she rolled on a tick during the loving. During the, the loving yes. in hair. Yes, that's right. <laughs> My next question is also uh, in regards to Elaine. Where did Elaine's roommate do a play of hair? For some reason, I want to say Buffalo, but no, 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 it's not Buffalo. No, 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 because that's something else entirely. That mm. probably blew my next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm blanking. It's from Danbury, Connecticut. Oh, is it my turn for a question? It is your turn. Is the answer Buffalo? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Actually, that really was my next question. Where was Jerry's Saturday gig? But we will ignore that and move on to how much you are expected to pay for a legal cable. When the way Kramer pitches it. Oh, $150. $150. One time in the deal, that's a good price. It's not bad. Now, I've also spoiled my third question without realizing. So let's see <laughs> if you're listening to me before. How many channels does Kramer offer? 65? Ooh. 56. 56 channels. Oh, that's my numeric dyslexia coming in, coming yeah. in before. <laughs> Which doesn't sound like a lot in 2021. No, but back then, absolutely. Yeah. you got to remember, this is pre-internet. You couldn't just stream your favorite movie or stream this and stream that. If you didn't have cable, you didn't get to watch those movies, you know, unless you paid for them. Let me tell you something about growing up in the 80s, my man. Three commercial channels and the ABC. And then SBS came along. It's like, wow, five whole channels? Yeah. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't channel 10. Wasn't that originally zero? It was. Channel O. Yes. Channel O. Mm. Yeah, I, I, man, I still remember those days, but because before, because Foxtel here was originally Galaxy, and I want to say that started in like '94. Galaxy it was very early '90s. Right. Yeah, so I remember. I remember my friend getting Galaxy, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" But still, when <laughs> I was growing, when I was growing up, you just had the three basic channels and the ABC. The ABC was more targeted for kids, but, but during the daytime, like for, yes. when, like after school and whatnot in the mornings. But I just remember like. Seven, nine, ten. If you didn't see what they aired when it aired, and you didn't tape it, it was just in your mind. You're never going to see it again. There is that absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about if you were a kid, and some and another kid said to you, "I saw this thing on the ABC last night." It's like, why were you watching the ABC after six o'clock? You <laughs> yeah, know, after well, five thirty uh, to six was the last thing. Yeah, unless it was Countdown or something. <laughs> but, <you know>? Yeah, <laughs> but it's like. Were you watching Four Corners or something? What's wrong with you? What, I mean, it's like someone, I love vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just remember 5.30 for ABC was always, when I was growing up in the mid to late 90s, it was always a, uh, a rerun of a Nickelodeon cartoon. So they'd play a week's worth. It might be Rocco's Modern Life, Hey Arnold was one, Our Real Monsters, Cat Dog. And my sister and I would always be going, come on, hey Arnold, come on, hey Arnold. Hey Arnold or Rocco, they, they were our two jams. We loved it. Angry Babies as well. Yeah, we were, we were Nickelodeon kids growing up. What was your sort of thing growing up? Like We were Nickelodeon kids. What was the Nickelodeon equivalent of when you were growing up, if, if there oh, was one? Golly, um, probably a lot of Hanna-Barbera stuff, like the Flintstones of course, and the yeah, Jetsons. That's true, Flintstones yeah, and Jetsons. Yeah. And yeah, they, they still aired, um, but they were more like early Saturday morning stuff, yeah, like yeah. really early, yeah. I'm trying to think what the other sort of afternoon cartoons were. I don't know if there were that many. Looney Tunes, sort of, maybe? Looney Tunes? Probably a bit of Looney Tunes in there. A bit of, bit of Bugs, a bit of... Um, oh, of course, The Roadrunner. The Roadrunner was yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was still big when I was um, when I was growing up. I remember in the 90s, we had What's Up Doc, which was just uh, like an hour or so of just Warner Brothers cartoons. Yeah, it good times. Just that was hosted by Sophie Lee. Yes. <laughs> yeah, good times. Helped usher a lot of young men and maybe even some young ladies into adulthood. <laughs> All right, that is trivia for the baby shower. We'll be right back after this quick break with our in-depth review. 
If you feel like having yourself a time, then check out our new podcast, Going Down to South Park, where we go back and revisit every episode of the iconic series, dissecting the stories, reveling in chef sing-alongs, and chuckling at the occasional fart joke. Going Down to South Park is available now for free on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you're a fan of everything we do here at Four Finger Discount, you can show your support by joining the family at patreon.com slash fourfingerdiscount. Here you'll get ad-free early access to all of our shows, Zoom calls with Guy and myself, as well as bonus podcasts such as Tales of Futurama and Guy on Springfield, where we go back and revisit classic episodes from the first 10 seasons. So go ahead and join the family today at patreon.com slash fourfingerdiscount. The original air date of The Baby Shower was May 16th, 1991, written by Larry Charles and directed by Tom Sharones. Kicks off with some stand-up as usual, with Jerry discussing the difference between a man and a woman, flipping through channels, flipping around the TV. The difference here now is we don't really flick through channels. We, we scan, as we said. but We scroll, the, the, yeah. The thing that we do do is we skip intros now. But I don't skip, in, I don't skip intros Ever. It's a pet peeve of mine. I think I've mentioned this numerous times. I just yeah. We're currently watching The X-Files on Blu-ray. I've, we've never watched the show, oh, yeah. so I bought the Blu-ray set, and mm-hmm. we're getting through it. And for me, if I'm watching The X-Files, I want to hear that full theme because it sets the tone and gets me in the mood for what's to come. When Nicola's like, can you skip it? I'm like, hey, baby, no. I had the remote. Hey, skip it, shit. <laughs> I bet that's fun times in the Dando household <laughs> when you're pulling that shit. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, skip. I, I feel like... The, like the, I've always said this, the intro is a key part of a show. It's what gets you in the mood. And we have so little time now. We're in such a rush. We have to skip the intro. Even if it goes for like 20 seconds, we're like, skip, skip, skip. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do miss that. And and the the opening credit sequence seems to have gone the way of all things. You don't really get it as much anymore. I mean, maybe you do. I'm not really watching that much sort of commercial TV. But things like um, like the X-Files, yeah, they... Even that's a bit shorter, or seems a bit more condensed than uh, than the typical sort of opening sequence. I go, it goes for, it goes for about forty seconds. That's quite long. Okay. Yeah. Okay. By the time you got to something like Lost, though, you know, we'll just have the Lost, and that would be it. It's like, okay, well, we're watching Lost. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the one because we watched the Mighty Ducks Game Changers, the recent Netflix, I uh, not Netflix, our uh, Disney Plus series, mm-hmm. and the intro literally goes for about three seconds. It's just the players going across the screen that says Game Changers or whatever. So if you push skip intro, you basically like <laughs> it's like in real time. It's like there's no point even pushing it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> what's the point of skipping that? Um, this whole bit uh, that Jerry opens with about the storytellers and the remotes and all that, it was fine. I found it more clever than funny. It wasn't that I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's not bad. That's pretty clever, you know. <laughs> if Jerry was telling me that joke, if he was running some material past me, I'd probably be going. Yeah, that's good. I like it. But I wouldn't be going, <laughs> Jerry, you've done it again. Usually he just relates things to real life, which he does here. But like you said, it was a very clever way, a really good uh, comparison. Where it's like, you know, women are nesters and men, we go hunt. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at Monk's and uh, Elaine reveals that Leslie is pregnant and Jerry tries to guess the name. He's very, uh, cynical's not the word, he's very uh, patronizing here. He clearly oh, doesn't yeah. like Leslie. <laughs> 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 I have a good reason because Leslie... She's one of those friends, and this happens quite a lot, because Jerry loves Elaine, and it's obvious that he just wants nothing but the best for Elaine, and he knows that this Leslie person is not a good person to be in Elaine's life, Mm. but as she discusses later on in the episode, she just can't say no to her, and she has this need to want to try and impress her all the time. Oh, yeah. 
and I think we've all had that one person in their life where we're probably better off not even having to, anything to do with them. But we just have this desire to always want to impress them, even though it doesn't make any sense why we do. It's just they have that that hold over us, and that's what Leslie does with Elaine, which is why Joe doesn't like her that, and the fact that she's just a total bitch. Well, <laughs> on top of that, George just really doesn't like her. Oh, not at all. But even like Joe just hangs shit on her husband. It's a bit scathing, yeah, some yeah. of the insults that they're throwing around in this one. I mean, even the way when they're talking about Leslie's performance art or a show or whatever, and George is describing... God, she's cooking dinner for God. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, it's a, just scathing critique. And God, it really does sound like a terrible show when he puts it that way. That woman was unequivocally the worst date of my life. Oh, pardon me for trying to set you up with a beautiful, intelligent woman. What? You don't think I can attract beautiful, intelligent women? Thin ice, George. Very thin ice. <laughs> Sometimes you should just not ask questions you don't want to hear the answer to. Have you ever done that? Well, you know, I'm probably not going to like the answer to this, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. I have enough experience of that now that I don't ask the question. Yeah, exactly. I have exactly the same. I'm able to catch myself before. Is it worth me knowing the answer when I probably already know what the answer is? Do I really need to confirm it? If there's even a 30 to 40% chance of me not liking this answer, I'm not going to ask the question. (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather just pretend that the answer is not what I think it's going to be. Yes. I know it. I know it exists. Let's not let's not bring it to further life. So George says how Leslie threw the chocolate all over his, the chocolate all over his new red shirt. It's so great. Jason's so good at telling stories. Just the delivery of flies were landing on me. <laughs> <laughs> you can like for example the marine biologist. That's always the one we always fall back on. But mm. when he tells a story. It's like you sit down, you like you can really visualize it because he's just so descriptive the way he delivers it. It's just he's, he's amazing, Jason Alexander. He's so great. He is. But then he discusses how you know he wanted to get angry and yell at her, but he ends ends up sucking up to her because, as Jerry puts it, he thought he, he thought he still had a chance. Man, we are absolutely the worst in that regard. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. But then she left with somebody else. The the final betrayal, but Jerry. Doesn't ask how you know, how that impacted him. He's like, what have happened to the shirt? He's very rational in how he explains it, though. I mean, it sounds like a good deal. You just got the collar. That's fine. That works. Uh, so then Elaine asked Jerry if she could use his apartment for the baby shower because she she's um Leslie's asked her to, to to run it for her and she just can't say no. She wants to really always have, always have her approval. Jerry in this scene, he's done this a few times. I love it when he obviously as a person he doesn't believe this, but. As a character, he asks the questions that he knows are probably not true, but he's just mm-hmm. taking the piss. For example, whereas I think it was an earlier episode where it was something about a pillow fight. It's like, you guys aren't going to break out into a, a lingerie pillow fight, are you? Like, for example, <laughs> but, but here he's like, he's like, you're not going to erupt into a drunken orgy of violence. <laughs> just, just taking the piss, not going to be hazing the fetus. Mm-hmm. And now when he, says, when he says hazing the fetus, if you watch, she nearly breaks character, Julia. Oh, She's just like... She's like, no, 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 but she's trying her best not to laugh because it's just, <laughs> I, I like to think that that line wasn't scripted. He's just, because let's not forget, Joe's a comedian. He's very smart. He's very witty. Yeah. It would surprise me if quite often during scenes, he just threw things out there. Come up with something off the cuff like that. Yeah, especially in a situation like that where you can just throw a little, uh, add a little hot sauce to the, uh, to the existing lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jerry says, just make sure you don't ruin the apartment and you can, I mean, I think that Jerry's a good friend. He lets people 
not take advantage oh, yeah. of them, but you know, they, they need money, gives them money. They need his apartment, he lets them use their apartment, blah, blah, blah. That's the thing. I mean, if someone came to you and said, I know you and Nicola and the kids are going to be out of town for the weekend, I'd do it at my place, but... Um, Fred's got COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Could we use your house? Would it be all right, Dando? And yeah, God only knows what you'd say, probably. You'd probably say yes, because you're a good fella. You're a good egg. <laughs> <laughs> Depends if it's you asking me or not. <laughs> So then George vows, you know, he's still seething in the background here throughout this whole scene. Mm-hmm. He vows to uh, say his piece eventually to it because he'd never, never forgive himself. Storms out, comes back, takes the tip. Very, takes very tip. funny stuff. And that's about the first six minutes of the episode. It's a very recurring theme now or thing for the, the show to spend the first like 25% of the episode with just a simple mm-hmm. conversation but setting the whole episode up by doing yeah. so. Jerry is then trying to uh, get picture on his TV. That This... Doesn't happen anymore. I can't remember the last time I've seen someone not have reception on their TV, but just the banging the TV and everything, it just took me back to my childhood because we oh, sometimes yeah. lost reception, yeah. Oh, yeah. And look, the rabbit ears on the TV, the little uh, portable antenna. Yeah. I think that you can still get those. I, was, I mean, I remember seeing them either online or actually in a shop. Just for, just, just for a novelty or? I don't know. I guess it must have been. Or you know how they sometimes have... Uh, like old-timey radios that are actually digital or that you can plug a USB into or whatever. and um, Or it's more like a Bluetooth speaker, but it's like an old radio. Maybe yeah. this was something similar for TV. But I initially thought, well, they're still selling little antennas? Wow. Because I thought like, they like, had, uh, my, my nan, God bless her, <laughs> she's still in her bedroom at, the, at her house before she passed. She used a digital set-top box. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> because the TV she had couldn't. You know, could, wasn't a smart TV, mm. so she used to use the digital set-top box to get a clear picture. Oh, God, miss you, Nan. But the, the other thing about the, the rabbit ears, though, I mean, because I used to have this little um, portable black and white TV mm. uh, that I'd carried around to various share houses <laughs> in, my, uh, in my footloose and uh, fancy free days. Didn't have like an aerial that you could plug into the wall or anything like that, so you had, you had to have those rabbit ears to get, oh, wow. any, okay, get, yeah. get any um, transmission, to get any reception. And this is sort of like a pre pre life hack life hack. But what you would do was put tinfoil on the very end of it. Supposedly okay. that would that would uh, get greater reception. I don't know if it ever actually pack. worked, <laughs> but I did it. You know, I thought, eh. did, did it work? No, you don't know. Didn't really notice the difference, or sometimes yes, sometimes no. Now that just may have been the way the <laughs> the waves were going, or something like that. But uh, yeah. I like to think <laughs> I've con- conquered technology. Kramer is just adamant that he should be getting a legal cable, though, isn't he? He's, look at yourself, you banging things. What are you doing this for? Look at you. Quiet, I'm trying to get a picture. But you don't have to do this. The guy is waiting in my house. Leave me alone. <laughs> it's a one-time fee, 150 bucks. Why live like this? I'm not getting a legal cable. Oh, so what are you going to do? You're going to wait for the cable companies to resolve their dispute? They're going to be in court for years. Oh, I've read in the paper. Oh, oh, the paper. Well, they might hook us up again. Oh, God, you're so naive. All the cable companies care about is the big mamu. Oh, look at you. You're banging things. Just pathetic. Just wasting your life. I'm offering you 56 channels, movies, sports, nudity, and it's free for life! Stop shouting, you're ruining the reception! Can you hear yourself? Can, 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 do you know what you're saying? What this you're suggesting is illegal. It's not illegal. It's against the law. Well, yeah. 
I just love that he operates by his own rules, Kramer. You, oh, we yeah. just, you know, he, he's got his own code of conduct to you know, sort of uh, exist in the world. I think that a good motto is that, like, not motto, but I think everyone sees themselves in George, but everyone wants to live their life like Kramer. Oh, yeah, sort of unapologetic and... Uh, but he's not a bad person. No, he just does no, things, no, no, he just does. He just lives life the way he wants to live it. If anything, he's probably the nicest of the four characters. Yeah, I'd agree with that. When do you ever hear him gossiping and being spiteful? He complains sometimes when he's, you know, yeah. someone's trying to kill him or something. But he's not a, <laughs> he's not, he's not, he's not a moaner like a George. He's not a gossip or a backstabber or anything. He's like not, a, that, he's not no. a dweller. He doesn't dwell on things. He's just like, all right, well that happened. Let's just move on. Can't change yeah. the past. I love how excited Kramer was the fact that the guy. What else he does? He sells slugs for the subway, Jerry. <laughs> he's just like, he's just a great salesman for this guy. Jerry's still apprehensive though. It's the 90s. Come on, it's hammer time. I'll go get him. Now, if you notice here, it wasn't really well acted in the sense that he said, I'm going to go get the cable guys from my place. But as soon as he opened the door, they just walked into the apartment. He didn't like say, hey guys, come in here for a minute. They were just ready to go. I was like, oh. Yeah. That cue kind of felt a bit off. But anyway, so they're in there. How great were the cable guys, though? Very good actors. Very convincing. Yeah. Just these kind of surly, seedy, wrong side of the tracks kind of guys that get in and get out, guys. I mean, yeah, I don't want to have to deal with you any more than I have to. Yeah, they, exactly. they, they just look like those kinds of people. The thing is, though, when they had that fight at the end, what were they fighting over? They just randomly just like just start tussling over nothing. I was like, what the hell is going on here? No, they're Russians. They're hot blood. (laughs) (laughs) So they say they'll have it installed before he gets back. Jerry then thinks the alarms are going to go off every time he turns the TV on, but he eventually agrees because he gets to watch all the Mets games. That's a a big selling point for me. It's the only reason I still have Foxtel is because of the sport. Mr. Steinfeld? Seinfeld. We're with the FBI. You want to tell us about your cable hookup? Cable hookup? What about it? It's been illegally installed, Mr. Steinfeld. It has? I've been out of town. How did you know? Hey, Jerry, I had to tell them. I had to. I had no choice. Ah, they were onto the scam from the very beginning. You're in very serious trouble, Mr. Steinfeld. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. We're just patsies. We're just a couple of users. We never sold the stuff. What about the Russian guy? The Russian guy's the guy you want. Mr. Seinfeld. Agent Stone, FBI undercover. <laughs> no, Jerry! Cable boy. Cable boy. What have you done to my little cable boy? The thing is, as you mentioned, they they don't think they've had a dream sequence like this before, to my recollection. I don't think we've done one yet with a a dream sequence, which is why it catches you off guard because you're just not expecting it because you just go, okay, well, Joe's just come home. Wait, wait, what's going on here? Because why would a Seinfeld fan who has never seen this happen before think, Oh, this isn't yeah. real. So when they start shooting Jerry, Nicola was like, huh? 
And I'm yeah. like, no, no, it's not, it's not real. Yeah. I mean, dream sequences are kind of a staple of, well, not just comedies, but fiction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's not really a Seinfeld kind of thing. You're right. So They usually make it obvious in sitcoms, though, when they're going to have a dream sequence with the music and the fading to it or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very Wayne's World kind of thing. Yes. Scooby Doo ending. <laughs> Please fasten your seatbelt. We're making an emergency landing. Are they going to go over the instructions again? <laughs> My name is Bill. I might be the last person you ever see. Now, I want to look up this guy because there was a story behind that character. One moment. It was played by Don Perry. Don Perry guest starred as an airplane passenger here, yeah, next to Jerry. Perry states that he might be the last person Jerry will ever see. This line was not in the original script, but was added because Perry, as Larry Charles explained, he just had the right look for it. And I agree. It was just so great. <laughs> just, having, just having Jerry look at him would have been nowhere near as funny as him delivering that line. That line, line. yeah. So we come back from Key Marshall and we get some more stand-up about the fear of flying. I mean, it's, it's perfectly logical as well. We're, we're not supposed to be in the air. We weren't designed to be in the air. Same with the fear of heights. You know, I, I'm, I'm not terrified of heights, but just sometimes it gets me. I remember we did the walk across the top of the opera house. Okay. And there's a portion, not the opera house, sorry, the Harbour Bridge. Bridge. The, the mm. bridge, yep. There's a portion where you're not walking over. Once you're doing the walk over the top, it's it's fine. It was the climb up where you're sort of on a ladder. Mm. And in my mind, I know I'm hooked in. But I just was terrified that I was going to fall down because people are climbing up behind you and whatnot. So I'm climbing up and you, they give you these hats to wear. And I'll never forget when the guy said, just keep looking up, mate, you'll be fine. And I looked up. And this big gust of wind blew the hat off my head. Oh. And it gave me the sensation that I had started falling. Frightened the shit out oh, of me. Oh, God. Yeah. I had something similar. I mean, yeah, I'm, I don't have a fear of heights per se. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the like the skywalk in the um, yeah. down the Otways, I think it is. Oh, man, those things get me. It's like, you know, you can't fall. But it's just that fear of, well, what if I do? Yeah. And it's, you it's just... You're just high enough. I mean, it's it's different from being like on the edge of a skyscraper or something. Yeah, if I fall, I'm stuffed. That's yeah. It. There's there's no there's no getting out of this. If if I fall from this height, which is something like maybe twenty feet, it's usually between five and ten meters. It's pretty. Yeah, may not be high enough to kill you, but God, it would hurt. You know, it <laughs> it could it could easily kill you, but you'd certainly break something. Maybe a few things. <laughs> And uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, yeah so that's, um, that, that ain't great. <laughs> I remember we did one, I would have been about two or three years ago now. It was before Elliot, so it must have been three years ago. It was in the Otways. And I powered through it because I didn't want to be embarrassed in front of my friends. My friends were just going through it. And I'm like, I right, just keep doing it, Brent, just keep doing it. But then you get to the end, and the end was just this square platform. I was like, well, how do we get down? And the guy there was like, oh, this is where you jump off. And I was like, uh, excuse me, sir? And it's like, you just jump off and about halfway down, it'll catch your weight and then you'll slowly be lowered to the ground. And I was like, yeah, I didn't really sign up for this. So <laughs> I was like, is there, is there no other way I can just climb down? He goes, no, you literally just have to just jump off. And all my friends were on the ground going, come on, Brendan. And I was like, oh, I jumped off. I jumped off and I didn't do something right. So when I jumped off, it held my weight, but not like the weight it was supposed to. Gave me the biggest wedge you've ever experienced in my life oh my squashed my testicles and i just pretty much just went bang into the ground i was like 
I fucking hate my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I have terrible experience with those places. Never again. But, I, I, but in terms of a fear of flying, I don't really have one. I think when it comes to something like that, I tend to crunch the numbers. Certainly back when you know, there were a lot of planes in the air, it's like, okay, how many planes take off and land per day mm. in all the airports all around the world? So many. How many do you hear about them crashing or having some kind of um, mishap or anything like that? Not that many, although maybe they're not reported. <laughs> so uh, that's what I tend to think when I'm sort of sitting in a um, sitting in a plane that's taking off and like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm in the 99% of planes that are going to get from point A to point B safely. So uh, the, uh, George has picked him up from the airport. The plane has had an emergency landing. And Jerry thinks he's taking him back home. He thinks he's just being a good friend with no ulterior motives. He just wants to... Uh, <laughs> even George here lays it on. You know, just, you're, you're, you're a good friend. Just a, ulterior motive. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't want to go to George's place, though, because he'd rather go to Jerry's place. Oh, we'll, we'll go out for, for a bite. Oh, you know, just ate an entire pot roast. roast. <laughs> I love that, that he ate a whole pot roast. <laughs> well, so what should we do? You know, shouldn't we at least drop off your bag? Red shirt! Red shirt! That's the red shirt! You're wearing the chocolate shirt! <laughs> I am. What a strange coincidence. Ah, uh-huh. nice try, my friend. But you gotta get up pretty early in the morning. You gotta let me go over there. What are you gonna do? Badger a pregnant woman on her own baby shower? What, are you take it off and make her rinse it in club soda? No. I'm gonna hold it under her nose so she can smell the scent of stale Bosco that I had to live with for three years. Then I'm gonna say, remember this? shirt baby well no it's payback time yeah i love that jerry here similar to when george was explaining how he's going to put a mickey in his boss's drink he's like what are you gonna do go badger a pregnant woman at her own baby shower what is wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> leslie we now get the first mention or the first um scene with leslie here and she's bragging about the house Elaine's impressed with everything about the Kennedys and whatnot but she's just a bitch to, to elaine this entire scene isn't she oh yeah. i was like elaine's put in all this effort and she like laughs at the the food, and I'm just like, you're a horrible, horrible person. But someone who is that hard to please or that ungrateful, mm. I think, yeah, you are going to be sort of motivated to go the extra mile because for some masochistic reason, you're like, if I finally win this person over, if I finally do something to earn their approval, I'll have really succeeded at life. There's one thing in this episode, though, I really thought it was coming and it never really did i thought that elaine was going to eventually stand up to leslie and get back at her for mm-hmm. being a, a bitch and what like elaine finally seen the light and realizing this person's not worth the hassle and it never came not that a lesser sitcom would do that but seinfeld would not do that i think out of the three main characters yeah both jerry elaine and george will tend to sort of take the easier option i don't think they will they will they will always take the path of least resistance i think Oh, not always, but for the most part. And I think it's a very, very human thing to do. In other sitcoms or other shows where, you know, you've got your likeable characters who you're really pulling for and are sort of meant to be either role models or someone you relate to, they'll, they'll stand up to the bully. It's like, you've been treating me like crap all my life. Well, I'm not taking it. Yeah, you hear from the audience. Yeah, you get the standing applause and the, and the, the actors have to awkwardly stand there for five seconds and not say anything while the crowd stops clapping. Yeah, whereas Seinfeld, a bit more realistic, you will probably just shut up and take it. <laughs> or, like George, as we see later on, just 
Yes. Completely chicken out. <laughs> Kramer at this point enters with the cable guys. Did you see the the seedy look they gave the women? It was amazing. Oh, yeah. oh God. <laughs> so funny. The they're, they're leching on the ladies. They're eating all the food. Yeah. The way he <laughs> ate that cake. Oh, my God. It was so funny. But the thing is, the guy who plays that uh, that character, he obviously he was one of the cops in Jerry's dream sequence. Mm. He does such a good job of making himself look like a slob because he's actually a well put together, pretty good looking dude. Yeah. So Elaine is very annoyed with this, the fact that the cable guys have locked up, which is understandable. And Kramer says they won't take long. Lifts his shirt up to wipe his face and whatnot. Joe then <laughs> asks George, like, what do you plan to say? And George explains, you know, what he's going to do. He's, then he starts very calm and collected and eventually just builds and builds and builds. He starts screaming, 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 looks at Joe for approval. And Joe's like, yeah, you're not going to say that. <laughs> I know you too well, buddy. You ain't going to say any of that shit. It's really a def- kind of defining George moment, that bit. It's a really yeah. sort of quintessential George Costanza moment, that building up a head of steam. You know, he had it, we, we saw a, a little bit of it earlier in the, um, in the diner at the very beginning of the episode, just that underlying, Urgh. but <laughs> yeah, he's really letting it rip here. And it's just so George. I love that. Um, yeah. But as I said, the, <laughs> the other side of that is also very George, but we'll get to that when we get to that. What he uh, what he wants to say compared to what he actually will eventually say. Yeah, yeah, that is very relatable though. It's very relatable. They're all part of the same person. They don't. Yeah, they feel like natural sort of uh, reactions or natural actions of this of this particular character. Jason Alexander really no- nails George. He really does. It's such it's such great casting. I love the fact he Kramer. It's almost like he's using this to pick up a woman. You know, when I eat the apple, I eat the corn, stems, the seeds, the whole thing. Could be a, could be viewed as a metaphor for something else. <laughs> ah, <laughs> it could be. I don't think that's what he was implying here, though, but maybe. Mm-hmm. The cable guys are eating all the food. I just thought the acting here when he's, he's just... Like he's trying to, like, hide the fact that he's just eating, devouring this cake. Uh, Kramer <laughs> says to the, the cable guy to... um. Yeah, it says that in in you know in Russia the cable guy they got the run of the house you know they they're, they're kings they're, they're so they're so used to behaving like this they usually get away with it then the cable guys have their fight and one of them storms off to the toilet screams at the woman to hurry up and get out oh. <laughs> just just being horrible people then Jerry and George finally arrive things are just getting worse and worse for Elaine it's just everything's happening it's just all crazy then Elaine uh, warns George don't you even fucking consider talking to Leslie about that red shirt because she can see it there. Don't you ever consider it. Uh, the Russian guy calls uh, Kramer out, out, of the, out of the room for a moment and this is where George does listen to Elaine and goes to confront Leslie and this is where it all just goes to shit for George because she, even if she does remember him, she's playing it up like she has no idea who he is yeah. which just makes him immediately go, oh man, oh man because he expected that, oh George, it's you but yeah. the fact that she couldn't even remember him just makes him feel so insecure. <laughs> he just goes to water, doesn't he? Well, it's like I said earlier with Elaine. I mean, if you could get through or make an impression on someone that self-absorbed, Leslie's not my type. I don't know whose type she is. But she's clearly got that kind of performer's charisma that you kind of want to be in their orbit. Even if the rational part of your brain is going, it's not a good person. Don't like this person at all. But you kind of want their approval or you just want the sun to shine on you for a moment. So, yeah, if you can get through their own self-regard or whatever and just, oh, yeah, you're that guy, George. You'd be like, oh. <laughs> here's a story that embarrasses me a great deal, so I'll share it with all of you. <laughs> all right, let's do this. I remember uh, it was like a year 12 end-of-year party, mm. and 
I'd never been a huge drinker up to that part, but I was that night. I just got yep. shit-faced. <laughs> um, and I remember this girl that I had a crush on for years, honestly the most beautiful girl of the late 80s, Mia McKenzie. <laughs> I, think walk- you may have, I think you may have mentioned Mia before, yeah. It's it's a hard name to forget, but she, oh, she was honestly got like a supermodel. She was just... <laughs> and... Um, she walked in and I was walking out of the party probably to throw up because <laughs> I just had so much wine. And she said, oh, hi, guy, how you doing? I was like so drunk. I said, she remembered my name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's what you screamed, yeah? <laughs> I kind of did. <laughs> I thought I was being like a real kind of Bill Murray party animal kind of guy. I was kind of trying to do it in an ironic way, like, oh, she remembered my name. How about that? Yeah, guys. <laughs> and then I just walked out and threw up in the gutter. And I honestly, I, I literally was lying in the gutter just throwing up. And I remember the girl who threw the party. <laughs> I could hear her saying, don't let my parents see him. <laughs> I, was, I was the one you don't bring home to mother that night. It was great. Yeah, you sound like it. You only get one chance with me and Mackenzie and you blew it, mate. Oh, I never had a chance with me and Mackenzie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but yeah so George here what sets him off is he's expecting your, uh, you know, a big retaliation from her you know, I went on a date with you and just the big and that's, where, that, that's it he's done he, he, that's, that's it for him yeah it's kind of the killing blow it's the, it's the Mortal Kombat fatality yeah. get over here yeah he's just he, he's finished this is where we have Mary Contardi confronting Jerry at the exact same time that George is just going to water with Leslie and just, yeah, her acting, like you said, it was your favorite moment. I thought she just, she just builds and builds and builds and builds. She really lets loose. In a classic sitcom, as you said, this is where she would get a standing ovation from the crowd. Jerry, remember me? I'm sorry. Uh... Mary Contardi. No? Doesn't ring a bell, Jerry? We had a date three years ago. You took me to one of your shows. Oh, I, I, I think I remember. Told me you had a great time, said you'd call me the next day. Well, I'm sure I meant to call. I probably just lost... No- <laughs> you were never going to call me! You thought you could waltz for the rest of your life and never bump into me again, but you were wrong, no. Jerry, you were wrong. <laughs> what do you think? I'm no. some sort of poor, pathetic wretch? I didn't think some that. Some person who could I be didn't... dismissed and no. ignored, some insignificant piece of dust, some person who doesn't deserve your respect and your attention, or you're the one that doesn't deserve my respect and my attention! George here continues groveling uh, to, to Leslie. Mary storms past Leslie, knocks the cake onto uh, onto George, and then Leslie says to George, "Thanks a lot." And I was like, "What the hell did George do there?" Mary walked past behind you, bumped you. You then spilt your cake on George, and you say to George, "Well, thanks a lot." I was like, "George did nothing wrong there. You yeah. got bumped by another person." That that to me, even for the character of Leslie, I thought felt odd. Because surely she would turn around to the person who bumped her and go, what the fuck did you do that for? No, I don't think she's even... (laughs) Even that kind of... I don't think she'd expend that much energy. I think, you know, if she's going to say something about... If she's going to express her disappointment or disdain at, uh, you know, losing a tasty dessert, she'd probably just do it to the closest target. So the women all leave. Uh, Jerry says now he doesn't want to get any cable. So he tells him it's now going to be $400. And Kramer looks very sheepish. Oh, 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 shit. Sorry. Sorry about that. 
Leslie then leaves and she says to Elaine, you know, Elaine, you're just like you were in college. Now, what did she mean by that? Well, that's the thing. It could be read either way. Elaine initially takes it as a compliment, right? I mean, or, or yeah, does take but, it as a compliment. But but, she, does, she does take it as a compliment, yeah. But yeah, like, obviously but, she, was uh, being, she was being narcissistic when she was saying it because she's yeah, Leslie. Well, Leslie's just saying, oh, you haven't grown or changed or evolved or anything like that. You're still the same, you know. Boring person. Who, yeah, yeah, who knows what Elaine was like at college? She may have been, you know, a bit of a shy, mousy kind of person who yeah. would fall under the spell of someone like Leslie. I won't say I know people like Leslie, but I know about them. And, you know, they're constantly like, well, you know, I did this, you know, 10-day silent retreat and... Listening to the voice in my own head, wow, you know, I really came out of a difference. It's like, <sighs> you know, you're constantly hearing about another, they're taking another step up the evolutionary ladder or something like that. It's becoming a better person all the time. And really, they're not, but they feel no. they are. Yeah. Yeah. And I get the feeling Leslie is like that. So for her to say, well, you're just like you are in college, or you're just like you were in college, it's like, hey, thanks. It's like, you know, what, I'm the same fun party girl that I was back then. No, you're the same. You haven't changed at all. You haven't grown at all. It's like, oh, yes. God. Yeah. For Leslie, that's just, it's it's a burn. It's a nasty, nasty burn to inflict on someone. George then helps her take the presents out, which I thought was a very nice touch, very funny way to end it. Oh, my note here. Oh, George, that is so sad. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. So Jerry refuses to pay for the, uh, for the cable at this point. And the cable guy sort of looks at him and Jerry's like, well, what? What are you going to do about it? Never ask that. Never ask that. No, never ask that ever at all. So the TV here looks broken. All they did was put a sticker on the TV to make it look Ah, like it was broken. Oh, okay. Just cost-cutting wherever they could in season two. (laughs) Well, they had poor man's process and poor man's broken TV. That's right. Uh, George says every woman is in control of his life. And Elaine, we get the discussion here about the Kennedys again. Elaine says she saw a Kennedy. Is it Kennedy Jr.? Is that who she, she saw? She saw JFK Jr., I think, yeah. Yeah, 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 on the on the bus. Or when she was on the bus, and she pushed the ding, but it didn't stop. Jerry's thinking about whether he did what he did was wrong to Mary. Like, I'm, I'm sure like, surely she wasn't expecting a second date. Kramer walks in. I thought the ending, we got the stand-up just after this, but the ending here just felt a little like nothing. Like Kramer walks in and says, hey, come watch uh, Dr. Dr. Shivago. Shivago on, on cable, I'm making popcorn. And that's it. that's it. There's no sort of real comedic ending to this. It's just them contemplating about the episode. But it, nothing wrong with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I like that idea of, it's, it seems like a very old-fashioned notion now, but uh, you had to make do with what the TV stations gave you, even if it was cable. It's not, it's not like Netflix or a streaming service where you basically got a video store in your house. Yeah. It's, okay, we're giving you, <laughs> these are your options. You've got these amount of channels and you've got this amount of program at this particular time. Take what we give you. And, you know, occasionally you'll get lucky. I mean, well, not even not even lucky, but it's like, you know what? Dr. Savago's on in 10 minutes. We're making popcorn. It's like, okay, that's the yep. appointment. <laughs> if, you, if you don't come now, you're not going to see it. Yeah. <laughs> Same as be- before Spotify and things, if you wanted to hear your favorite song, unless you bought it on CD, you had to hope that the radio station played it. Yeah, that was great. And then be, and then be quick enough to get a cassette tape out and record it. But it made your day if you were driving around and or whatever and you had the radio on and all of a sudden you hear the first riffs of your favourite song. Yeah! <laughs> nice. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> so then we get the stand-up about, you know, when, you, when you've just ended a date and you know you don't want to see them again, what do you say? Because everything's a lie. I'll see mm. you around, take care now, take off. It's like, <laughs> what, what, what's the lie that we always say? 
I remember it was Take Care. I remember he's talking about Take Care a lot. Which yeah, was- yeah, yeah. But, but basically, it's just discussing here how there's no polite way to basically say, I don't want to see you ever again in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the baby shower, I don't think it was anywhere near as funny as the deal from, from last week. But still, no. this just had a lot of elements, in particular with, I want to say, Kramer and... George. I don't think Jerry and Elaine were the stars of the show by any means, but they were no. necessary cogs in the, in the in the machine to keep the, the to have the big climax at the end there. Absolutely. But I just thought George, George was the star and Kramer Michael Richards was just fantastic. He was just trying to pitch that fucking cable to Jerry was amazing. Just this episode felt very nostalgic to me for various elements such as talking about the illegal cable. But what about you? Yeah, look, I enjoyed it a lot. As I said, it doesn't have to my mind that traditional kind of not necessarily low key, but uh, the, the energy of this energy of this episode was a bit more madcap, a bit more screwball comedy, and I like that kind of thing. And I think these guys did it very, very well. I mean, not not just the the core quartet of players, but the uh, the guest stars that they had on. I think they all added distinct spices to the mix. So yeah, I, look, I got a real kick out of the out of the baby shower. I think you're right. Episodes like the deal, I view those as as Seinfeld. And I like them a lot, but I like this episode, I won't say just as much, but uh, it's like the polar opposite of a disappointment. It's, yeah, it's good stuff. That last scene in particular really felt like an old school classic sitcom where there's a bunch of different stories all happening mm. in the same room. But once that story is sort of finished for a point, they go off, they go out of the room for a second and then Kramer does something and then he gets taken out and then George is doing something. It just felt like a very like 70s-esque, just wacky sitcom. Yeah, I just really yeah. enjoyed it. Absolutely. Because the mail never stops. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. There's never a let up. It's relentless. All right, we've got a couple of mailbag questions here before we wrap up. So if you've got a question for us, send it to talkingseinfeld at gmail.com. Send them through. We'll be sure to answer all of your questions. This one's from Jesse Howard. He says, which Seinfeld quotes do you tend to use most often in your day-to-day life? Oh, wow. Whenever Nicola leaves the back door open, I always do say the door must be closed. <laughs> and the fact that she watches Seinfeld now, she actually understands the reference, which is good. <laughs> Whenever you see pretzels, you have to say, the pretzels, pretzels are making me thirsty. Thing. You don't use that in your day-to-day life unless you see a pretzel. But still, whenever I see pretzels, I immediately think of that. Yeah. For some reason, I'm thinking of the episode where George is wearing the really puffy coat. They're off to a dinner party. Yeah. And... <laughs> they puff them around. Yeah, but... um. You know, he's talking about, oh, we'll pick up some wine or something. He was like, I don't drink wine, I drink Pepsi. <laughs> it's like, he's talking about bringing ding-dongs to this, you know, fancy dinner party. He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure someone's going to come up to me and say, don't tell anyone, but I'm really excited about the ding-dongs. <laughs> <It's not- laughs> I don't know, I won't say I quote that in everyday life, but I'll sort of do a variation on it. You know, it's yep. like, oh, we're going to a grown-up dinner party. Can't I just bring like, you know, can't I bring a party six-pack pies? of... Gonna bring a six pack of VB and like a you know box of four and twenty. <laughs> People be like, I'm, I really appreciated those mini sausage rolls. Yeah, that's the thing. You go to a fancy party and it's like you, you pretend like you have to enjoy this food because that's the the theme of the party. But it's like all I want is a cheeseburger. Yeah. <laughs> can, can, we, can, we, can we get some hot rods on the way back? <laughs> and here we go. Question from uh, this one's from Con, Conrad Bell, and he says. What would you buy somebody for their baby shower? What would you buy somebody for their baby shower, guy? I I tend to go with teddy bears. Um, mm-hmm. that's, oh, by the way, listeners, listeners, Guy and Louise gave Holly this penguin toy. When she, I don't know if it was for a baby shower. It was just a present. It's legitimately Holly's favourite toy. Oh, nice. <laughs> she takes it to bed every night. She absolutely loves it. It's her favourite. 
She can't go anywhere. We can't go anywhere on any drives without the penguin. Stuffed animals are my go-to for um, yeah for baby showers and baby birthdays. Yeah, <laughs> but you just you just gotta know what the person's already got. I think just giving money is just the best thing. It's like just go buy what you want. I know we've just established in the deal that if it's a spouse, they don't buy, don't don't just give them money. But mm-hmm. if it's from a birthday present or a baby shower, or whatever, just give them some cash. Let them do what they want. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, that is what I would give someone for that baby show. Thank you for the question, uh, the question, Conrad. Don't forget, guys, to send in the questions. TalkingSeinfeld at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to rate and review us in the iTunes store. It's one of the best ways to support the show. And if you want this show early, you can go find it on patreon.com slash discount, where we also host various other podcasts, including Fourfinger Discount, The Simpsons Show. We also do Going Down to South Park. We've just launched that one as well, reviewing every every episode of South Park, starting from the beginning, much like the Seinfeld one here. And Nicola, my wife, in case you don't know who Nicola is, guys. My Nicola wife! And I, yeah, we just launched uh, our Friends podcast, the one about friends. So that's all available early if you go to patreon.com slash discount links in the description of this podcast. You also get access to our Four Figure Discount exclusive Facebook group, prize draws, and much, much more. So it's the best way to support the show and get a bunch of exclusive stuff in return. But if you can't afford to be a patron, that's perfectly fine as well. We love the fact that you just listen to the show. Just make sure you go to iTunes and just leave us a review and chuck us five stars. That would be much appreciated. Next week, Mr. Davis, in the next episode, we're going to be reviewing one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld of all time. This is the episode that truly sold the show for me and made me fall in love with it. It is The Chinese Restaurant. Yeah! Oh, man, this is an iconic, absolutely classic. Love it from start to finish. Chinese Restaurant, cannot wait to delve into that one. But for now, Mr. Davis, any final words for those incredible listeners out there? My name is Guy. And this might be the last podcast you ever listened to. <laughs> <laughs>